again. Good morning. Welcome to Battleground. If you're watching online, no matter where you are this morning, or if you find yourself listening to this uh, a little bit later, turn with me to your Bibles. Uh, your copy that's sitting in front of you or on your phone, Revelation 3. As we've been working our way, you ought to see the map if you, as you find your place behind us, just sort of get your bearings geographically to, to help us understand we're not speaking about some kind of mythological story with some kind of moral truth this morning. We're talking about an, an actual letter written by Christ to an actual church. This church's name was Philadelphia. This was, of all the seven churches, this was the, the youngest city, and it's called Philadelphia. It was 30 miles southeast of Sardis. Just as you find your place, just in case you're curious, a little tidbit of information um, this city was named for a man called Attalus II. He was the fifth successor to the throne of Pergamum. And uh, he took over at the death of his brother. And he was extremely loyal and faithful to his brother. And so they named him Philadelphus. And this city was named Philadelphia after him. So just uh, that kind of thing excites you. That's how he got his name. So stand with me. And let's read the Lord's letter to the church in Philadelphia. Beginning at verse 7 of chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him pillars in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God, out of heaven. In my own new name, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, many of us have not chosen the storms that blow through our lives right now. For many of us, we have this trauma or this memory in our mind from years gone by that we didn't choose to happen and they've blown into our lives like a like a storm on a vacation and so lord today thank you for this word that gives encouragement it gives praise and love and hope and promises to your persevering saints no matter where they find themselves no matter what they're going through no matter what question mark is in their tomorrow 
We follow the one who holds the keys. And in that, we can give thanks. Speak to your people and comfort them today. As you have me, as I have studied this this week, give me the wisdom and the ability to choose how to say and what to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. One of the uh, partners that I have in ministry is a place called The Gateway, and, and what happens there is people come to, to that organization for help. And, and what he does oftentimes, if someone needs uh, counseling or just prayer or encouragement, he will reach out to me, and, and I will reach out to them as part of your pastor's week. Um, I was speaking to a lady one day that called and just needed some prayer and some counseling, and she had been the caretaker of somebody for a long period of time. And uh, day in, day out of 24-7 care of this person had begun to wear on her, and so she put this person that she had been caring for for months, most likely, in a long-term care facility just to be able to catch her breath and to get some rest. Three days later, this person dies. And she was racked with guilt because if she, she just felt like if I had just kept that person in my home, maybe they wouldn't have died. So I ask you, you're having that conversation, how would you comfort them? So I hope this helps you to know why we've been talking about what we've been talking about the next couple weeks and find ourselves here. Because the way you counsel people in that moment is to say, Did you do what the Lord told you to do? And what you did, did you not do it by faith? Did you not care for this person when no one else could or would care? The answer is yes. And then, well, then you have to accept this. We don't get to pick how it ends. We don't. We obey what the Lord says by faith, just like she did We don't get to pick the fact that we can't extend one person's breath one more or shorten it. The Lord has appointed your death date. And He has given us a command to obey. This is what the church in Philadelphia was doing. They weren't impressive. We'll see that. They wouldn't have made any of the Baptist newsletters. Right? They wouldn't have asked this pastor to write an article in a paper. Because his church would have been too small. But they were faithful, despite the culture, despite the temptations, despite the same compromise, the temptation to compromise or to do nothing. So the key to this text is the key. Look at verse 7. As it is in every one of these letters, this first opening verse is is the key literally today we see it. Look at verse 7. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens the door no one will shut, and shuts and no one opens. Here's the context of what's going on. The reason why this is so important is that the church had been excommunicated from the Jewish synagogue. Imagine you were a Christian today, and there are plenty of those around. You weren't accepted into the churches of that day. You grew up Jewish your whole life going to the synagogue, and now the door literally locked for you. They're not allowed to go into the synagogues anymore. Remember, this is in the 90s. 
against this I brought my keys today this is the key to the door of the church against the backdrop of these excommunicated believers Jesus is standing there going hey heads up I got the key they don't have the key brothers and sisters hear me I'm going to say some things you don't have to agree with them today go back and study your Bibles for yourself but quit listening to people who keep telling you to watch the Jews okay watch the one who's got the keys that's what he's saying get your eyes off of people and your suffering I got the keys we're going to talk about what those keys are he calls them the keys of David you see that this is the first time actually that he's used this symbol of Christ that's not in chapter 1 Every other one, we could go back to chapter 1 and see how he, he's, he's pulling from the Old Testament. Isaiah 22, 22 is, is the parallel passage here. And, and that passage is talking about a guy called Eliakim. Eliakim was a royal guardian in the king's court in ancient Jerusalem. And to this man, God said this, And I will place on his shoulders, Eliakim, the key of the house of David and he shall open and none shall shut and he shall shut and none shall open Eliakim at that point now becoming as we break the Old and New Testament together a type pointing to Christ these keys are authority and they are trustworthy because look at verse 7 he, the one who holds the keys is a holy one He's the true one, which means no one can question his authority or say to him, what have you done? He has no unrighteous judgments. Even when we don't understand it, they are not unrighteous. He holds the keys, but to what? We're going to come back to this. But what this text is pointing to is the new heavens and the new earth. That's what he's holding the keys to. And since he holds the key to that, he holds the key to rest, to reward, to victory, to suffering. He holds the keys to be able to have the authority to design your life, both the beginnings and the ends and the middle in between. He holds the keys to the entrance of the new heavens and the new earth that are to come. And so today, no matter where you find yourself, this text is meant to encourage you you're bound up in anxiety or fear about the future or you're bound up in anxiety or fear because of something that's happened in your past listen Christ has the keys not that person and not that situation this church is like I said before verse 8 unimpressive small in numbers weak in material resources and they lived in a society that was wealthy You see, they went through every temptation the other churches went through. They weren't suffering as intense here as some of the churches along the coast. But they were suffering, especially in context that the Jewish people were tormenting believers. Turning them over to the Romans. Ostracizing them from the community. The difference in this church and many of the others is they did not compromise and they did not grow apathetic. So it's something to sit up and take note of this morning. The Lord attends the church in Philadelphia. And he commends their faithful endurance. And listen, as he promises his persevering power and a secure destination in the future. I want us to see this couched in the praises, the promises, and the reward. I mean, the praises, the promises, and the command. Sorry. The 
command. First, the praises. Now, this is Jesus to his church. Got to understand the foundation to these praises. They have kept the word. That word kept is important today. I hope to teach you some things of that word kept. It's an important word in our message today. They had a non-negotiable. If you talk to me much about anything in your life, I'm going to ask you that. What is your non-negotiables in life? <laughs> and are they biblical? Here's one of them. They kept the word central. Turn with me to Psalms 119. Psalms 119. The other snow day, as I've told you a couple other times, me and Chris Parker from Walnut Grove, we preach from the same text every week. And when it snowed, we, we call that a free one. And so we was going to preach something that wasn't in the series. And, and uh, I preached one text. He actually preached this one out of Psalms 119, 1 to 8. And uh, I found myself right here in my study this week saying, what was the core foundational truth of why this church did not compromise or grow apathetic? I think Psalms 119 grabs it. Look at verse 1. Notice what David is challenging us to do and what he's doing himself. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. And listen to these words. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently, all that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. This is what they were doing. And so look with me at verse 8. What we're going to do is we're going to see the praises. Then we're going to go back and look at the promises he gives along with them. First, the praises, verse 8. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. Listen to what he says. And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. This is a proverbial cause and effect. They have kept his word, therefore they have not denied his name. And they did that with very little people and very little resources. He calls on this little power that literally means weak he's saying I have seen your faithful service on my behalf in the gospels faithfulness has nothing to do with your size or your position or the amount of resources you have they were faithful despite their weakness and despite the attackers in their life that was the Jewish people they were being pressed on they were being targeted they were being ostracized so what does it mean they have not denied his name it's despite the opposition they never lost their mission despite their opposition that the great commandment and the great commission was in the forefronts of their mind they had a gospel mandate acts 412 you know this and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by what which we must be saved. He said, you've, 
You've kept the mission on the forefront. In other words, there's two things this morning that, that they were about. Gospel proclamation and gospel endurance. And the key to both of those is they kept the word. The word is the, the cause of the mission staying on the forefront no matter what they go through. And it's the cause, secondly, that they kept my word and endured patiently. Look at verse 10. It says, because you have kept my word, this is really helpful. Notice the word, even if you like to mark in your Bible, underline the word about. Two words that's really important there. You have kept my word about patient endurance. Do you see that? What they're keeping is the message of the word. It's not enough to say, do you love God's word? Oh, yeah, I love God's word. Do you read it? Eh, I really struggle with that. You know, I love God's word. I don't really read it. But I know as a Christian I'm supposed to love it. So I say, that's not what they're saying. That's not going to help you endure, by the way, either. The Holy Spirit is not going to bring something to your mind that you don't put in there. They understood what God's word said about endurance. And they obeyed it. They meditated on it. They kept that. The word kept here means to guard or protect. If you're taking notes, write that down. We're going to come back to that. We're going to see this over and over in the, in the text and other places. That word kept means to guard. It means to protect. So here's the question. Do you know what the Bible says about perseverance? Do you know what the Bible says about sexuality? About marriage? About stewardship? About business ethics? About time management? About work? And about rest. Do you know what it says? Do you know that the Bible has something to say about how we live our life? It says, you know, my, you know the word. And you know what it says about what it means to endure. What, what, was, what did they know about endurance? What would have been in their mind that, that was leading them to endure? Well, I think first and foremost it had to be about our Lord, don't you think? They remembered the cross. You know these verses, just listen to them. Hebrews 12, 2. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. They remembered our Lord on the cross, that his life was hard, but the glory was set before him. It's an important picture in the message today. Not only that, Jesus in John 15, 20 says this, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now here's our word again, same word. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. If they treasured, if they protected, if they guard my words, then when you declare the gospel, they'll keep it, they'll treasure it, they'll guard it too. Despite what unbelieving Jews were doing into them in this particular context, they had not stopped declaring the gospel. They followed Christ's life, His death, His resurrection, and the promises, the teaching that they had been given. And they, they were faithful, not perfect. There's no perfect people. They were faithful. You see, this is what I've been, I've said it over and over the last few weeks. This, this is success in life and ministry. Faithfulness. 
in times of uncertainty or trouble, when your plans that you made and you thought you understood what God wanted you to do and it blows up in your face, we hold fast to the truth of what God's Word says and we stay on mission. That's what they were doing. And so interwoven into this were the promises. The promises. So let's go back to verse 8 and let's find the promises. And this verse is full. There were so many promises that when I got through writing the section on the promises, I had to add more promises into the command because he just kept giving them promises. Look at verse 8. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. So here comes the reason for the keys. This authority. The image of their life is that life is hard and endurance is required. That's their situation. And so the Lord says, look, look, I have taken these, my authority and I have opened a door for you. So you need to live this life, you need to walk this way, and you need to pay attention to the one who has the authority, and you need to pay attention that this door has been open, and no one has the authority to close this door. Man, it's important to know what that door is, isn't it? <laughs> their works. You see, he's got, he knows their works. What was their works? We've already said it. Gospel proclamation, gospel endurance, not compromising. Not growing apathetic. When Christina and I were very young in our 20s, not in our 20s anymore, it might be a shock. And uh, I used to go to Sunday school and I went into a class with people in their 20s. And, and I'm not talking about that or anybody else. This is just where that class was when I went in there. Uh, they would talk about golf and I think then paintballing was a big thing and everybody was talking everybody was doing these things and and uh you know it was like going to a steakhouse and being served popsicles you know I wanted to eat you know and so I told Christina one day I'm going to go to an old people's class what I said and these old people were probably in their 40s and 50s but you know when you're in your 20s that's old <laughs> I know right <laughs> young now and I met many men but one of those men I met was a man named Al Al was a soft-spoken, unassuming man. But as I, as I grew and took on positions of, of leadership and those things, and somebody put you in charge of something, there was one person you wanted on your team, Al. If Al was there, he not only would be there, but it would be done. And he never would say anything. Al was on mission for God this week. And in the middle of his mission, died of a heart attack and went to be with the Lord. So I want you to see that. It is to the owls of the world, and we got plenty of owls right here at our church, that the Lord says to him, I have opened a door, brother. Just walk towards it. Be faithful. What is that door? Well, there's some disagreement here. Some say that it's missional opportunity. Philadelphia was a border town. To the east. Some say it was fellowship. Remember, they had been excommunicated. Some say service. And all of these are true in secondary ways. But the key is verse 7. 
This open door is an open door into God's presence, into His heavenly city. The, the door that is open for the believer that nobody can shut, and if it's shut, nobody can open, is the door to the new heavens and the new earth, what Revelation calls the new Jerusalem. This is the focus of the Bible, not all of these secondary things. The second coming will bring with it a new heaven and a new earth. And here's what he's saying. You'll see this in verse 9. There's a great reversal coming. And I'm just teaching you what the Bible's saying here. Unbelieving Jews, here's what he's teaching them. Unbelieving Jews will be excommunicated from the new Jerusalem. They have excommunicated you now. Don't worry about it. I have the keys to the new Jerusalem. And without, if they have not embraced the one who has the keys, they will not come in. William Barclay, who takes more of a fellowship focus, but I think he grabs it here. Listen to what he says. Men may shut, out, shut you out from their fellowship, but the door to fellowship with me can never be closed for you by any man. He accents John 10 that Jesus is himself the door. In other words, for Barclay here, he's saying that the Lord has opened up the door to fellowship that begins the moment you believe, and therefore it has no end. The door to the new heavens and the new earth is open because you have, have eternal life now. And to that there will be no end. And so he's, he tells them this, I have immovably opened a door for you despite that it seems like your life has not been successful. Despite the fact, look at verse 8, that you have but little power. Little power. In other words, does little impact equal little success to God? If, if I could have a conversation with my brother now and I ask him, how much impact do you feel like you've made in the kingdom? He'd probably say, not much. But is that true? I've been wrecked this week because of that, because it's not true. He impacted me, and I'm impacting you. It's the way it works. It's just discipleship. Little impact doesn't mean little success in God's economy. Christ praises them despite their congregation was small, despite the fact they didn't have resources. Do you ever feel like that? Like our lives is just not making an impact in this community, that our church is not making an impact in this community, my parenting is not doing any good, my profession is not going anywhere, I am not having any impact in my family and community. I'm trying, it's just not working we call it failure. A failed church plan. A failed adoption. A failed marriage. A failed business endeavor. The question is, did you do what God called you to do by faith? Then it is not a failure. Our door, our victory has been won. The door is open. No one can shut it. The question is, are you being faithful? The reward is not due to our visible impact, but our faithfulness to keep Christ's word and to remain faithful. That is success. I promise you, I will open a door for you 
that nobody can shut. And verse 9, I promise you I will give victory over opposition. Now remember, Jesus is the God-man, came to earth, incarnated himself as what? Not only a man, but a Jewish man. So it's a Jewish man that is saying this. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. So who are the synagogue of Satan? Unbelieving Jews who thought they were in the kingdom because they came from the Abrahams. Because of their ethnicity. I'm in. We trace our lineage back to Abraham. We're good. You're saying, you're a synagogue of Satan. Man, if somebody, Lord Jesus calls you that, you ought to pay attention. You're a synagogue of Satan. Here's what he's teaching. True Israel are those who believe on Christ. Those who believe on Christ, they're the ones who have the door open to them. They're the ones that inherit the new Jerusalem. The Jewish synagogue did not represent those that were favored by God, despite what they think. The only ones that were favored by God is the ones who put their faith in the one who has the keys. Moffat. Well, a commentator says this, not Micah. This is, called, this is the grim irony of providence. What Jews fondly expected from the Gentiles, they themselves will be forced to render to the Christians. In eternity, the unbelieving Jews will play the role of the heathen and have to acknowledge that the true Israel of God is the church. Those that they, he has loved. Do you see that? Who has he loved? The ones who put their faith in the one who has the keys. I will give you victory over your opposition. I will open the doors for you. And I will preserve you in the coming trials. Verse 10. Because you have kept the word and patient, about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. So here's our question. And I want you to go back and study this along with me. Does this promise promise us escape from coming trials or protection through coming trials? Does this promise of escape, is this a promise of escape from the coming trials or protection through the coming trials? Some see here, and I'm not here to argue this one way or the other this morning, an invisible rapture before coming great tribulation. And, and I'm not here to argue one way or the other for that this morning, although I don't hold to that myself personally. I'm, I'm here to say that's not what this verse means. And we know what it means by what the, ver, what the words say. You see our word, kept? You have kept my word about patient endurance. Therefore, promise, I will what? Keep. Same word. Now, if you've been taking notes, what does the word kept mean? Guard, protect. Guard, protect. That's what he's saying. 
It is precisely because the church was faithful in times of trial that he will turn be faithful when these trials become great trials, and they will. Hold that thought in that place. I want you to see this. Turn with me to John 17. You know this chapter. This is the high priestly prayer. John 17, 15. Here's what Jesus is praying for the disciples, the very members, first members of the church. Here's his prayer. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Now, where's our word? You see it? Keep. That word? Same word. What is that word? The guard protect here's what he's saying I do not ask that you remove them give them an escape from the world but that you guard them that you protect them from the evil one in the world this is the same thing Jesus is simply reiterating what he's already prayed for his disciples before he left now he gives to his church in the 90's the same promise I will preserve you. I will protect you. I will keep you. It is preservation in trials that's being taught here, not escape from trials. The hour of trials is a period of testing and tribulation that comes before the new heavens and the new earth come. It's mentioned, uh, many people call it the great tribulation, or the great trial in Daniel 12, Mark 13, 2 Thessalonians 2. I believe the, the, the tribulation is happening between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. In other words, tribulation is actually happening now. And here's what's happening. As the second coming draws closer, it's going to get worse. It's going to grow. George Ladd. Although the church will be on earth in these final terrible days and will suffer fierce persecution and martyrdom at the hands of the beast she will be kept from the hour of trial which has come upon the pagan world God's wrath poured out on the kingdom of the antichrist will not afflict his people this is quite a promise but brothers and sisters if you know church history you will know that more people have been martyred from the faith since Christ left in the, in the last couple of hundred years, more people have been martyred than any other time in, in history. Our brothers and sisters are being drowned, burned, flayed alive right now. And here's what's happened in history. It only makes the church stronger because God's promises are true. And listen, no matter how bad it gets on this rock... God's promises will be true. And here's the greatest promise of all. Verse 11. I am coming soon. I am coming soon. He says this five times in Revelation. I am coming soon. And he says this in different ways at different times. You've got to under this context in church in Pergamum. He says, I'm coming with a sword in my mouth. In Sardis, he says, I'm coming like a thief. But you see, there he's speaking of coming in judgment on his church because of what they're doing and that they weren't repenting of it. Here he's speaking 
of the end times, of the return of Christ. He's saying, I'm going to come. And I'm coming soon. And when I do, I'm going to establish you as permanent citizens of this eternal kingdom. Therefore, that door is open and no one can shut it. So, hold fast to what you have. The command. And more promises. The command. And he just he keeps piling on the promises. Verse 11. Hold on. Hold on to what? To what you have. What do you have? So let me ask you that this morning. Ponder this with me. What do you have that will not fade, wear out, or die? Some of us need to think about that because we're giving our lives and worrying about things that's going to fade, wear out, and die. All you have in this life that is eternal is the Word of God and the promises they contain. It is how we make decisions. How do you make a decision when you have to make a decision and it's not explicitly directed in Scripture? You're like you can't go to it and says, Hey, Stephen, do this there at that particular situation. How do you make a decision? I told you that last week. When they told us our kids would never get home, what are we supposed to do with that? How do you make decisions? What's the next step you make after somebody tells you that? Here's what you do. You take God's character and you put God's character on the question. And whatever God's character would do in that situation, that's what you do. Commands. Hold on to what you have. What do you have? We have His Word. We have His promises. Why is perseverance so emphasized in Scripture? And the more you study the Bible, the more you'll see it. It is absolutely everywhere. The warning of false teachers and the warning to persevere. Absolute everywhere in Scripture. Why? Because laboring for the mission of God is war. Another way to say it, it's hard. We were meeting yesterday talking about vision and leadership, and uh, Brother Jason was telling us about a, a group home with some children, kids in need forever families. This I can tell you. You ever grab a hold of that? The war is on. And all of a sudden, you see, when you step into the heat of the battle in your life, these promises on perseverance are the most precious promises in the world. You see, these promises are only precious to those who fight in the battle. They're only precious for those who are tired. The ones who have the deepest scars long for the worst peace, the most peace. You see, why is it so important? Because this mission of God is hard. It's war. Because this is what the text is teaching. Because those who persevere and those alone who persevere are the ones who inherit all the promises. Those who persevere are the ones who inherit the promises. In other words, what this teaches is a doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. The saved persevere and those who persevere are saved. He says, hold on to what you have. What do you have? You have God's word and his promises. He says, hold on. And he starts giving them more promises again. Your reward's coming. 
Your reward's coming. I am coming soon. Hold fast. Why? So no one seizes your crown. Now, the best way to get that in your mind is because the, the Olympics is, is so prevalent in our age and all kinds of games were prevalent in their age too. It would be more like there's a gold medal. There's a medal coming for those who persevere. There's a reward. 1 Corinthians 9.25 Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. There's a promise. It comes with the holding fast. It is a reward. He's saying, hold on, your reward is coming. It's, it's through those open doors. Hold on. Your security, you see, is sure. Verse 12. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. A pillar. Now, remember that the, the temple had been knocked down in 70 A.D. This is 90s. Galatians 2.9 says it is the church that is the pillar and foundation of truth. The word pillar means stability. It's permanence. That even right now, the pillar, the immovable, enduring presence of truth and habits in His church. And it will make up the people of the new Jerusalem. Hold on, your security is sure. Like what else He says? Our security is sure because of the name He gives us. Look at verse 12. And I will write on Him... The victor. Who's the victor? The one who endures. Who's the one who endures? The one who holds fast. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Threefold. Important in the Bible when, something's, when it says something three times. Name three times. A name, we've been talking about this, equals family, equals citizenship, equals authority, equals belonging. The name of the city of God indicates that we will be full, eternal citizens of the new heaven and the new earth. But I love Christ's own new name. You know what this means? We can, we can barely get our hands around it. It means that in heaven, we will grow in our knowing of God. And to that growing, there will be no end. We will know His character better. We will know Him better. His purposes, His goodness, His power, and His love. We have only scratched the surface of the mountain of who God is. And in the new heavens and the new earth, we will grow in that. It will be just like we've never even known His name. And so, today, our unshakable hope is rooted in our ever-present God. So listen to me for just a second. Because right now, every preacher around here is being pressed to preach on eschatology, end times, end times. Every preacher is, because all this stuff going on, it stirs, every, it stirs people up. They want to know, they want to think about it. But listen to me today. The puzzling reality for me is that we like to argue about the rapture or the timing of the rapture. We like to argue about the millennium and the timing of the millennium. Is it literal? Is it figurative? Is it now? Is it later? Is it when? What? When? 
None of that God uses to comfort His people here. The comfort, the truth of this passage is that the new Jerusalem belongs to us and we will rule with Christ in there forever and that that is the comfort of comfort and peace for God's people. No matter where they find It is there and there alone that we will experience rest from our labor. And rest always comes from victory. Revelation 14, 13 says, Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. It is our source of comfort it is our place of reward revelation 21 says behold the dwelling place of god is with man where is that well verse 1 says it's the new heaven and the new earth so what kind of place is it it's the place where god is the dwelling place of god is with man verse 3 and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be their God. Verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. <coughs> no more funerals. No more goodbyes. No more betrayals. No more physical, emotional, spiritual sickness and pain. Because God is there, and sin is not. That is the door that is open to us. Brothers and sisters, today, heaven is your reward. And the reward is that God is there. God is there. So take comfort from the church in Philadelphia today. It's not your size. It's not your accomplishments. It's not your litany. It's not your titles. It is the fact that we belong to the king. And this king is the one who has the keys. And if he has the keys, whatever he opens is open, and whatever he shuts is shut. And his promises to you is that the door is open, and it will never be closed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and your promises. Lord, there's so much here. Could preach another hour and not touch it, Lord, and not get to the bottom of how all the wonderful, the implications of these promises, Lord, is how will we live now since we know this door is open? Lord, there's so many needs around us, so many broken people. Lord, show us how to keep our gospel mission ever in our minds, ever as part of our, in our daily planner. Lord, where does your mission fall in our to-do list? Oh, Lord, help us, teach us how to manage the days that we have left to be good stewards of what you have given us, for life is the most precious gift we have. Because we are to use it to magnify you. To glorify you in this life. To proclaim your gospel no matter our situation. Lord, give your people the courage and the strength and the endurance. Renew them today, Lord, through your word. 
that they may be faithful. Lord, that we would be found being faithful is our prayer and our plea. And we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen.